This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello and welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe, through the lens of disability. My name is Nicole, I'm your host, and I am thrilled to have you here. So what is on the examination table for this episode? Well, by the time this episode is hitting your ears, Mother's Day here in the U.S. has just passed. My original plan or thought was to focus an episode around a character that was a disabled mother, but for possible reasons I will get into later, this proved to be a little bit difficult, so I changed course. For this episode, I'm going to be talking about the 1991 Roger Corman-produced, Brooke Jackson starring, and Rodman Flender directed The Unborn. Roger Corman is Corman, but maybe the names Brooke Jackson and Robin Flender aren't ringing any bells. Now, you may recognize Brooke Jackson from the 1978 uh, remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. She was also in The Dead Zone, which I think came out like in 83. I also clocked her as... Mrs. Thomas, Chrissy Thomas's mom from the Baby Babysitters Club movie from the 90s. Now, Flinder has uh, been touched on here before on the pod in talking about the Leprechaun series. He directed Leprechaun 2. He also directed Idle Hands, the doc uh, Conan O'Brien Can't Stop, and quite a bit of TV. And I think his most recent credit was uh, doing some work on Becoming a God in Central Florida with Kirsten Dunst, but he's also directed episodes of stuff like Ugly Betty, uh, the Screen TV series, The Office, so he has a pretty substantial resume when it comes to TV work. So how does The Unborn tie in with disability? Well, the unborn deals with infertility, and this is defined as the inability to conceive via unprotected sex for a year or more. I feel like infertility is a topic that we are just as a society becoming a little more open uh, to, and I, you know, I preface this by saying that This is also a topic that can be really, really painful for some folks, especially those experiencing it. So I guess, you know, consider this a bit of a content warning that we are going to be talking about infertility. So if it's a topic that is uncomfortable or difficult for you, uh, you know, you can feel free to uh, kind of take, uh, take a pause here. While infertility is considered uh, a disability under the Americans with Disabilities Act and allows for certain workplace protections as such, it's not really considered a specific disability. So, you know, instead we're looking at it as often but not always a symptom or piece of a disability, chronic condition, or underlying health issue. 
And that's where my focus is really going to be. So a little bit of a disclaimer before we dig in. Almost all of the research I'm going to be talking about a little later on specifically cites women, uh, women with disabilities as the demographic studied and as the language I'm going to be using. I always want to operate with respect. So if I have fucked up in some way and there's a, a, some different language I should be using uh, in terms of pronouns, etc., please let me know. So, all of that out of the way, let's get into the cinematic masterpiece known as The Unborn. Technology of in vitro pregnancy has progressed so rapidly that today almost anything is possible. <laughs> I'm gonna be a mother. They wanted it more than anything. Meyerling really is the best. His success rate with infertility is close to 100%. They thought it was impossible. Your case is trickier than some, but I don't anticipate any difficulty. <laughs> Dr. Meyerling gave me these pills. Don't take them. Stop fighting it. I don't trust him. Let it happen. He's not an ordinary doctor. We'll take care of you. A geneticist with a vision. They are better, stronger, more intelligent. They don't mean to cause harm. <laughs> There's this thing growing inside of me. It's not my baby. What you need at this point is some counseling. It's not human. No! No! Ireland changed it. It's not part of me. I have no choice. I have to get rid of it now before they find me. You're obviously in the third trimester. It's against the laws. They're doing something to the children. They're changing them. They don't belong to us anymore. This is not my baby. I don't know what it is, but it is not mine. They're eating us alive. The unborn. Having a baby can be a scream. All right, so I'm going to do something a little bit different and not do a Wikipedia summary because the Wikipedia summary for this one was very short. So you're going to get a kind of rough and tumble uh, synopsis here. We open with an expecting couple in bed getting ready to have sex when the pregnant uh, one of the pair goes into labor or begins experiencing contractions. By the time emergency services are called, we have a blood-soaked abdomen and a dead body. Enter our main players for the film, Ginny, or Virginia, played by Brooke Jackson, and her husband, Jeff. They have made an appointment with Dr. Meyerling, a specialist with amazing results in IVF treatments. An important side note, the first IVF uh, birth was reported in 1978, and this child's name was Louisa Brown. Her mother had issues uh, related to a blocked fallopian tube, or I think maybe both fallopian tubes, and after nine years of attempting to conceive, underwent the IVF procedure developed by doctors Patrick uh, Steptoe and Robert Edwards and Jean Purdy, who was a British nurse and embryologist. Louisa's sister, Natalie, was also conceived via IVF, and Natalie would later become the first IVF child to conceive via IVF themselves. I just wanted to give a little bit of context here, because 1978 to 1991 
isn't, <coughs> excuse me, isn't a huge leap. And the science around IVF was still new and evolving. And Meyerling himself states this. Meyerling, so back to the film, Meyerling assures Jenny that with his expertise and success rate on her side, along with some choice phrasing to disparage adoption, she will have a child. Both Jenny and Jeff go through some testing, then the procedure is done, and it is successful. Jenny is expecting. So the start of Jenny's pregnancy seems fairly standard. A little morning sickness, but kind of life as usual. She joins a birthing class with some of Myerling's other patients. In fact, she first learned about the class at her and Jeff's very first appointment with Myerling. Um, and it is a lesbian couple that are also patients. The couple has some of the icky trademarks of the man-hating lesbian trope, but Kathy Griffin plays uh, one of the women, and she is honestly so perfectly hammy and over-the-top that it is really kind of magnificent. It almost feels out of place in the film because I think there is a sense of seriousness to everything else, but she somehow makes it work. Um, it's, it's really interesting. So at this birthing class, uh, Jenny meets another expecting mom, and I think her name is Janet. And they're at this class. Janet ends up leaving because she thinks that the class is kind of a, a joke. It's kind of a, you know, crunchy, granola, holistic type vibe. And again, kind of hitting on some, you know, I think problematic tropes now. But it's kind of interesting, especially with the holistic health and all-natural um, type trends that we see in a lot of health uh, care still today. I think there's something that still seems oddly relevant. It didn't seem as dated. Like this, oh, we, we only take you know natural supplements and we only do this and we don't want men involved because it ruins the energy of kind of the birthing process and it's really about you know bonding the child and the mother it's there's still i think a lot of people who ascribe to those ideas so i found that kind of interesting in that that aspect really wasn't dated at all um but uh so she meets janet janet leaves because janet thinks that this uh, kind of class is a joke, and um, we go back to Janet <laughs> a little bit later, and Janet is reaching out to Jenny to kind of tell her what she's discovered about Dr. Meyerling, and they set up a time to meet so she can, you know, tell her everything, and uh, by the time they're able to meet, Janet is dead by fetus, I guess. So it is also at this time that Jenny has really started to notice some complications in her own pregnancy. So I think, you know, the warnings from Janet and all these things are really starting to uh, create a lot of anxiety and fear, and she's paying a little bit more attention to these signs. 
um, because she's starting to notice some of these um, kind of components in her own pregnancy. She develops a strange rash on her neck. She's experiencing some really intense mood swings with increasingly violent tendencies and things like that. But both her husband Jeff and Dr. Marilyn kind of gaslight her with her symptoms. They do a lot of the, oh, it's nothing to worry about. It's just normally you're overreacting. It's just a normal part of pregnancy, things like that. So during an appointment with Marilyn, she asked about going back on antidepressant medications to help with her mood. And we learned that she has a history of depression and even had been hospitalized for a time. And she explains that it was a depressive episode following a miscarriage. Myerling <laughs> tells her that this particular medication may not be safe for the baby, but prescribes her something quote unquote gentler uh, to help her. Jenny's mom shows up and this is when Jeff is out of town. And I feel like we're getting towards like a, maybe one of the later phases of her pregnancy here. And Jeff is away, so Jenny's mom is going to come to help her out. And at this time, she's in a pretty bad state. She's much more volatile and is now experiencing some blackouts. So periods of time where she'll just kind of zone out, um, pass out, and wake up and, and not realize what's going on. And this is also associated with kind of these um, mood swings and, and kind of violent outbursts. So, her mom really isn't a huge help during this time. Her mom doesn't do a ton for her. And so, she's kind of at the end of her rope. So, she decides to go and terminate the pregnancy to have an abortion. The fetus is a genetically engineered uh, super creature. And super brilliant, but super violent. So it they like take the baby out. Um, she's, it's the, the abortion scene is very bizarre because it is, um, it's kind of hard to describe. It's kind of like this back alley, uh, procedure, but the baby is, um, more full term. It's able to come out and, it attacks, and it begins to hunt Jenny down. But the fetus has a connection to Jenny as its mom. Jeff is back from out of town. He gets killed by the fetus when it shows back up. Thank God, because I hate Jeff. Jenny goes to Meyerling's office slash lab and learns that he has advanced his procedure to a point that he no longer needs kind of a human to carry the baby. It's, uh, you know, he's able to kind of do this in lab. He's taken out. The film ends with Ginny finding her baby. Uh, still just kind of hanging out and about, I guess. I don't know. The end is a trip and it's kind of hard to, it's just kind of like a fever dream blur of things all occurring very quickly. This movie is very short. Um, it's just under 90 minutes. So, Stuff moves really quickly, um, so I'm sure that my little summary there uh, seems a little bit harried, but 
it's just, it's a really bizarre kind of sequence of events towards the end because she's advanced in her pregnancy, but she's having this uh, procedure to take the baby out and the baby is viable because it's genetically engineered and it's chasing her down. It's just bizarre, but I really do love it. I think the first time that I saw this, I was staying over at a friend's house and it was not long after it had come out, I think on video. And I remember we had gone <laughs> to the video store because we, you know, if you're having, um, you know, friends over or whatever, that was always a special time that in our area, because we didn't have a video store that was super close, those were always like the special times that we could go to the video store and rent a bunch of movies. So I remember we rented this based on the, I think the the box art was kind of interesting to us. And if I'm recalling correctly, the back of the box had like the bloodied um, baby on board sign image, which I thought was wild at the time. And I don't know, I've watched this a few times over the years and I always have a really good time with it. But what I really want to focus on and why I want to talk about it here on the pod is infertility. Now, like I mentioned before, infertility in and of itself isn't necessarily considered a disability. <laughs> it's considered kind of a symptom or a piece of an underlying condition, a disability, um, or a health issue. What got me thinking about this film in particular, though, around talking about it here on the pod and how to tie it into disability was, I mean, like I mentioned, I think at the top, there's now more conversations happening about infertility and just issues with conceiving, carrying a child and birth, these aren't conversations that a lot of people were having prior. You know, it was, you get pregnant, you have a kid, we don't talk about, you know, some of the challenges, it's all natural. All of these things are kind of complex when it comes to the conversation about, you know, childbirth, childbearing, and reproductive health. But I started thinking about it in terms of kind of a disability, um, I guess, topic as I, I think it was two years ago, false positive with Ileana uh, Glazer came out and is very similar to this movie in a lot of ways. And I was struck by, again, this idea of infertility being talked about in a kind of a vague way and just how similar it was in terms of going and getting any kind of health issue addressed and treated in a medical setting and talking about medical trauma and the fear of, you know, the loss of autonomy when it comes to going in and having these issues addressed because you're putting a lot of faith, trust, and um, hope into those medical care providers and, you know, kind of the, the aspect of warriors at the doctors and medical science is not necessarily on your side. So it's just something that got me really thinking about it. And then, um, 
I saw that this was on, I think, Tubi, and I was like, oh, I want to watch it again, and, and maybe something will, will ping for me, and I can tie this into talking about it on the pod. So I'm, I thought that was kind of a, a little bit of a journey to get us here. But kind of getting back to the connection of infertility and disability. So while infertility in and of itself isn't (coughs) a disability, obviously there's a connection in terms of how many different disabilities, diseases, conditions do impact fertility. My disability is one of those. I am not able to conceive. This is something that I've known since birth. And so it's interesting, and I'll talk a little bit more about kind of that aspect of it, like being someone who is infertile and has been infertile since their conception, I guess, and what that means and and how that kind of shapes a view. So I'm going to link a couple of uh, articles, studies that I found in doing some research, but it's important to point out here that there's not a lot of data or research around the connection between disability and infertility specifically, and there's not a lot of information around women with disabilities and reproductive health. So I'm going to probably reference that a couple of times in terms of like, this is what we know, but it would be great to know a little bit more. So I think that even without this hard data and these stats to really paint a specific picture of the connection between uh, disabilities and infertility, some of it is pretty clear. Different diseases may impact, you know, anything from development of parts of the reproductive system, hormone levels, (coughs) things like that. And I mention this because when Jenny is having that initial conversation with Dr. Meyerling, she talks about you know, fallopian tube damage that may or not be associated with the underlying condition of her being able to conceive. So there's, even though we're talking about infertility in this film, vaguely you can see how there might be something there that could be part of a larger um, condition or health issue. Now in the limited amount of data that we have, I was able to see that infertility does impact women with disabilities at higher rates than those without. Now, this is also all based on self-reported data. So there's going to be, I think, some, um, some thought to that. But based on kind of the results, women with disabilities reported uh, infertility, infertility issues at a much higher rate than women without disabilities. And what's more is that women with disabilities were much less likely to pursue medical interventions to address infertility. So 
higher rates of infertility, but less likely to pursue those medical interventions like IVF. Why is that? Well, I think there's kind of two different causes here. I think one is financial. IVF isn't cheap, and there can already be a significant financial burden to being disabled. So there's that. I think the second is general access to care and treatment, which can be a, a struggle. Both of these barriers are something that we see pop up early in this film. Myerling is in demand, and Jeff and Jenny have to be referred <laughs> by one of Jeff's colleagues. I think one of the partners of his firm, so a higher up, and there's some comments sprinkled in throughout the film <laughs> referencing the cost of treatment as well. So that's another thing that's kind of important to note. I know Jeff grimaces when he sees that one of the uh, powders that Jenny is using for kind of a supplemental drink, uh, which I think was given by Myerling, is like $5 a pop, which by today's rate probably isn't going to, you know, be too much of a burden, but yeah, you kind of get the point. So I want to take a, a slight step back and broaden the topic beyond being able to conceive to the next step, which is pregnancy and birth. So an, as an aspect not specifically highlighted in kind of many films dealing with infertility is while infertility is about the issues of conceiving, oftentimes underlying conditions, disabilities, health issues can mean elevated risks should an individual become pregnant and carry a child and give birth. And this is both an elevated risk for parent and child. Women with disabilities are much more likely to have complications of the pregnancy, as well as have adverse um, impacts of pregnancy. So we're talking about a gamut of complications throughout pregnancy and then long-lasting impacts on health following pregnancy. And of course, this is not even touching on any impacts to the child. So everything from genetic uh, conditions that are uh, being passed down, any kind of health issues that would put, you know, any aspect of the development of the fetus in peril. All of these things are a factor when you're dealing with someone with a disability, um, especially because, as I mentioned before, access to proper uh, reproductive health can be a struggle. So I think uh, all of that is worth noting, and it's not necessarily something that you see in these films. So outside of these complications, because you have a genetically engineered child, um, you know, the pregnancies in and of themselves usually go fairly um, fine up into a point. So um, it would be interesting now that we are beginning to see more and more individuals with disabilities, um, you know, pursue um, 
starting families and having children and, um, you know, kind of being part of this discussion, it would be interesting to see how some of these narratives may begin to change and reflect, I think, more specific challenges that someone would face during a pregnancy. There are obviously films that do, you know, oh, uh, you know, mom has this complication and it could impact uh, her or the baby, but it's nothing really <laughs> ever specific. And I think that's something that's worth noting when talking about infertility. I think there's some other aspects here that are interesting to consider when thinking about kind of the connection between disability and infertility. Folks with disabilities are often not portrayed as parents. And of course, by disabilities, I'm talking about physical disabilities. We don't have a ton of films or TV shows that it's a mother with a mobility issue or a parent with a neurological disorder. Typically, if it's a parent with a disability, we're talking about an older uh, parent, someone dealing with Alzheimer's, dementia, with an adult child that has to take care of them. Those are the kind of stories. We're not given kind of simple stories of a disabled parent also just being a parent. And I think that that's something worth having more conversation about by putting a disability and connecting it to childbirth and fertility issues and, and things like that. I think it does begin to open up that world of being able to have disabled parent characters that aren't, you know, in one specific box. There's a stigma that comes along with being a disabled parent. One, kind of going off of what I just said, most <laughs> people are really disparaging to disabled parents. Like, why would you have a child? This is just going to be a child that has to take care of you because you have a disability. And I also find that really interesting because these are often people who will shame uh, individuals who are choosing not to have kids by saying, oh, well, you're being selfish. Don't you want to, you know, have someone that you're leaving a legacy to, someone that will look after you in your older years? But if it's someone with a disability, oh, well, you're being selfish by having this child. It's just kind of a weird disconnect. And I think also just opening up the doors more to have disability be talked about in the larger conversation about infertility. There's a number of like different, you know, people on TikTok, um, influencers who do share about their issues with infertility. And some will broach on, you know, it being connected to other health issues. Of course, no one needs to talk about, you know, health issues that they're uncomfortable with. I'm not saying that, but it would just be interesting. And I think perhaps um, 
more, I think, all-encompassing of an infertility narrative, something that really struck me in just kind of processing this film after I watched it was the fact that when someone talks about issues with fertility, infertility, you know, people will be kind and compassionate and empathetic and will, you know, be encouraging and talk to them about, you know, oh, well, there's always adoption. There's, you know, these different treatments and therapies that may be beneficial and and just really be there in their corner. As an individual with a disability who has never been able to uh, conceive or have a child, no one has ever talked to me about adoption or anything else. It was never on the table. Um, I've never felt that pressure to have kids. And now granted, I don't want to have kids. It's never been something that has been on my radar. I love kids. I love being an aunt. I love, you know, uh, kind of my friends' kids and, and being in their life, but I don't want to have a child. A, I can't physically, but so that kind of option is off the table, but you know, there's just a lot of reasons that I don't feel like I would be an adequate parent. So it's just not something to pursue for me, but it's never been something that's been discussed. No one said, oh, well, do you want to have kids someday? But let's talk about what options you want to have. I think as a person with a disability, it's just assumed you're not going to be a parent because being a parent with a disability is considered kind of bad to a lot of people, has a lot of negative connotations to it. Parents with disabilities, specifically parents with intellectual or developmental disabilities, are often much more likely to have their children uh, taken uh, away by child services. And not necessarily because that child is in any kind of danger or because that home environment isn't suitable. It's a really messy and complicated uh, situation and there's more and more advocacy and work being done to protect the rights of parents with disabilities, again specifically those with intellectual or developmental disabilities. So, you know, as I think we begin to get a fuller picture of these issues, it will be interesting to see how these narratives continue to develop in years, uh, you know, down the road. I just find it really striking that this film and False Positive, they come out 20 years apart from each other, and there's so many similarities to them, um, both in terms of, I think, some of the issues discussed, but how they're discussed. So, um, I don't know, just a lot to think on with this film, and uh, I I thought it would be kind of a suitable uh, one to cover uh, on on the heels of Mother's Day. So, and with that, I think it's 
kind of a good time to, to close up uh, the episode here. Thank you, as always, for listening. And I hope this has been uh, an interesting topic and film uh, to cover. A huge thank you to Anatomy of a Scream for being the home and heart of Bodies of Horror. If you aren't subscribed, please do. Always cool things happening on the feed, and new shows have popped up recently. You've got Jen and Rachel with the girls on the boys. You have the trio of white ladies in Crisis covering the series of Fatal Attraction, which I'm loving their coverage. You have Sexy and Surreal. Uh, you should watch covering the From series. Just so much good stuff on the anatomy of a screen feed. So make sure you are subscribed and checking out everything. And with all of that said, uh, thank you again. And until next time. Scream Pod Squad.